Okay. I'm going to share something with you that the Lord put on my heart, as I usually try to do. And uh, <clears throat> the name of it is Reset Again. Right? Now, if that sounds like you said reset twice, I did. <laughs> reset Again. Let me give you a, a definition of the word reset. Anybody use that word on a regular basis, reset? Okay. <clears throat> Here's, uh, I gathered up several definitions. It means change. It means to fix something in a different way. To set again or to renew. It is an adjustment, all right, a reset. Okay, now I'm going to draw the beginning of this, a, a real life story about my grandmother. Okay, I've never... I've never used my grandmother's life in a teaching or a sermon before, so today's a, a first time. Now, this is an interesting story, and uh, it's what came to mind when I was thinking about reset. Okay, my grandmother, my mother's mother, lived in the house that <coughs> my family had built. She was born in 1879, and she died in 1973 at the age of about 94. She was bo her name was Flora Cecilia Bogie. Okay, Flora, like a flower. Cecilia was a Catholic saint, and Bogie, you can probably tell what language that came from because it was spelled B-O-G-Y, but it wasn't boggy, it's Bogie, so it was French. Okay, she's born 1879 in a place called St. Genevieve, Missouri. And uh, it was an interesting time to be born. As a matter of fact, she lived almost a century. And things happened during her lifetime that brought dramatic world changes. Maybe I've tried to think of any other single century alone that so many things happened that changed not only the country, but the individuals in the country and the world. So she lived an amazing century. So here's some of the dramatic changes that took place in her life. In 1879, when she was born in the state of Missouri, was still recovering from the leftovers of the Civil War. And so they had a lot of reconstruction going on there, lots of changes, lots of challenges, lots of problems. And uh, so that's 1879 and on. They're just, she's just south of St. Louis, right on the Mississippi River, where they had the paddle boats that go up and down all the time. She lived in that era. Uh, here's the first changing, or another changing event, 1898, Spanish-American War. So she lived through five wars, okay? In 1890s into the early 1900s was the advent of the horseless carriage. They didn't call them cars when they started. They were horseless carriage. Still carry you someplace, but we didn't need any horses. Can you imagine what a shock that was in society? Think of how what a shock it was to how many thousands of blacksmiths got put out of business all over the world because now we don't need as many horses as we used to. How about the people that raised horses for a living? Sorry, you need to cut back. Think those people might have been in a state of shock or difficulty because of the rapid and the, um, the change that took place in their lives. Okay, 1903, first flying machine, right, brothers? Okay, a lot of people didn't ever think we'd ever be able to fly. But just think what a shock that was and how, how change of thinking. 
those people experienced. 1917, World War One. 1918, the Great Spanish Flu, which, depending on what authority you read, could have been as many as up to 60 to 100 million people worldwide died in that flu. So what we've been dealing with is really kind of small in comparison to <coughs> what happened back then. Okay, 1917, World War One. <coughs> 1929, the Great Depression. That affected worldwide. It was not just Wall Street or America. Lots of problems. How about 1941 to 1945? World War II. Boy, did that ever change things. In Europe, America, all kinds of things in all kinds of places. Korean War. 1960 to the end of the 70s, the Vietnam War. Lots of cultural things happened during that time. The, the drug culture. Just think of all the things that started and changed society. And people had to get used to things aren't the way they used to be. And it didn't do any good to pray that we'd go back to the good old days because it wasn't going to happen either. Right? So there had to be a lot of resetting going on. This is a sideline. I asked my grandmother when I was a teenager, thinking about this very thing, I asked her, what was the most shocking event? that you can remember from your life that affected you and other people around you the most. I'd if we had time, I'd like to ask who thought it might be this or this or this. You probably never think of the thing that she thought was the most shocking thing in her life was the sinking of the Titanic. She said people were upset, emotional, and crying about that for years. You know, it just couldn't have happened. Okay? So, reset. People had to Go back and think about, uh, you know, probably a lot of people had second thought and canceled their vacations about sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, you know, about that time. But think of the change that would have come during these times. Amazing numbers of events that changed the world. Let me tell you one uh, event probably with, that all of us have experienced, and I'll tell it like a story. I remember, anybody remember the Sears store that used to be at 23rd and Penn? Okay, uh, I'd get a bill, I'd have a charge account there, I'd get a bill, I'd go in there, and instead of mail, it was not too far from where I live, so I'd go in and write a check to the bookkeeping department. The bookkeeping department was a room about this size that had at least 20 to 25 clerks slash secretaries with adding machines that were opening mail and doing all this kind of stuff. All right, within maybe 10 years, that reduced down to probably two people with computers, right? Now, what do you think happened to all those nice secretaries and <laughs> that used to have a job, get paid for doing all the work on an adding machine and hand, uh, hand copying things? When a reset time of reset comes, something has ended and something new has started. Okay, how many? How many of you? like wearing these okay uh, uh when i when i put them on when i try to put them on the thing that bothers me when i try to put them on i can't see through them so but putting them on with uh glasses on is always a problem anyway so wearing masks how many of you would have thought you'd be spending money and wearing on masks and wearing masks. How many have thought two years ago? Oh, I can't wait till the day. Boy, it's going to be bad. Yeah, we're going to have to wear masks everywhere. It just happened. But 
we're required to change. Now, I don't like change. How many of you like change? Okay. The only kind I think, I just thought of, you know, do, we ha do I have any change? You know, I like that kind of change, but not the, not the other kind. And I've, I've learned the older I get, the only thing here to stay is change. Okay. So, <clears throat> now, here's three, two or three things to think about. Are we ready for change? A lot of change is going to be coming starting now. We'll be seeing more of it in years, to, next few years. The COVID virus, masks, all the other things. It's total change worldwide. affects the whole world. Political unrest. Leading us, you know, we're experiencing leading to go into idolatry of all time. The breakdown family. Lots of things on the burner to change. Godless people that are wanting to lead us into godless socialism. That wasn't a problem many years ago. Oh, it was cooking. But it wasn't a problem then like it is now. Amen? Amen. Agree? Okay, so we've got COVID virus, political unrest, changes in American culture. Things will probably never be like they used to be in many areas. Changing education, changing values, changing morality. The world is feeling this. I was doing some research on this word reset and it directed me to an organization called the World Economic Forum, which all kinds of genius economists get together, Europe and every place get together. And last year, their title, their topic for their meetings was, it was called The Great Reset. Isn't that interesting? The world is getting ready for a change in the way economics is understood, done, so on and so forth. Now, the good news is, believe it or not, God is at work too. Okay? God is presently at work in ways and areas that we do not understand yet. All right? Why do I know that? Because I know a scripture. Also because this is God's world and he is not about to give it completely over to anybody. All right? So he's doing stuff that we may not recognize, but we can certainly believe and trust. God is preparing his body, his church, for something. A few weeks ago, the Lord had given me something to share, and it was three words, three activities that we as a body, as a congregation, need to be aware of and emphasize and feel God leading us to make these things a little more pronounced in our life. The first one was, and if you weren't here, if you want to write these down, I, I give this to you today really in as serious a tone and mood as I probably ever have uh, given anything. Uh, these are things we need to have on our minds. I believe this is God speaking to us, the body of Christ, America, and this fellowship. Three things. You might leave a little space between them. Knowledge. Growing in knowledge, particularly knowledge of God. Second thing was experience. I'll come to that in a few minutes. Final thing was mission. So three words that we need to look and see how those things affect my life in a time of resetting. All right? Talk about knowledge. Primarily talking about the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. 
Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and I'm not insinuating that we don't know anything about God, but I am emphasizing that we need to know more. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. All right? Now, when I'm growing in the knowledge of God, it's not just getting head knowledge, but it's getting life-changing knowledge. Now, the best place to start growing in the knowledge of God is to love his word. In Christ are all the, is all the knowledge and experience and wisdom of God is in his son. His son is the person of the word. Then we have, of course, the writing of the word. God is at work, and he will explain things in his word most times. Okay, so grow in your knowledge of God's word. How are you going to do that? By reading it, by studying it, by doing whatever necessary to open my life to greater knowledge of God. So it doesn't mean, like I said, that we don't know anything. It does mean that we should examine our approach to learning about God. And examining our approach means things like, do we allow time to read and study it? All right. Now, many people, and I think one of the most popular sayings in American culture today is when you ask them a question about something that would require change is, I don't have the time. All right. Anybody ever use that as an excuse for anything? I'd like for you to come over and see this over here. I just don't have the time. All right. We'd like for you to do this. Well, you know, I just got, I don't have the time. Okay? It's a very popular excuse in America about all kinds of things. Okay. I don't know where God has anywhere insinuated that we, <coughs> that we uh, make time, excuse me, that we rearrange our time, but make time. I think God realizes if I'm busy, if I've got a family to take care of, he knows I'm busy, but he's a priority. And so we need to sometimes look at our time and make time. All right? So... When you have <coughs> something like priorities in your life, what is your priority? And I remember back in uh, so many years ago, amongst ministry-type people, it was always God, uh, family, and job. Okay, and what I learned when I tried to put God first, but then, honestly, not God, not, I can't think about you right now because i got to take care of family, or then i got to take care of work. What I realized was if anything you have is three priorities in a row, number two is always competing for number one, number three is always competing for number two, and you end up with no priority at all, all right? So if we make God our priority, if I give my time over to God, he will show me how to set up this and this, all right? Does that make sense? Good. All right, think about this. Do we allow time to read and study? Am I putting myself in a place of a student? And remember that the word disciple means learner or student. Am I putting myself in a place of a disciple where I can better learn how to apply things into my life, both old and new? I have old knowledge that I've learned from Bible study a long time ago, but all of a sudden the Lord may direct me back to something that I thought I knew all about, and all of a sudden it took on a whole new life. All right? Anybody ever had that experience? Okay. Somebody said one time, maturity is defined by relearning the lessons you thought you already had down. Okay. So <coughs> I am 
wanting God to lead me as I study, as I learn. Now, I, I was never real good at, uh, you know, some people in Bible study, well, you've got to get up an hour earlier. Well, I tried that. It worked once, I think. But what I began to realize was that God will provide for me and direct me as for timing, so on and so forth. So if you're wanting to get into God's word more and more and increase in knowledge, then commit that desire to God and say, show me how I need to do it. What time? Where, when, how? Okay, but the attitude with which I approach God's word is also very important. That's on our responsibility. And that is... Do I really want to be doing this? <laughs> Do you have a hunger for God? If you don't, ask him for one. All right? I'm saying these things are so important for us. We're in a time of resetting. We're in a time when we are, our culture, our life, the church will be changing its uh, op modus operandi more and more because there are new problems out there. There's new things approaching us that may have never been in eyesight before. We need to be the equipped people of God, not the people who say, you know, well, it'll go away or we'll just do what we did 10 years ago. Maybe it'll work, maybe not. But the important thing is to keep your relationship with God current with what God is saying. How do we do that? First of all, be in his word. He will direct us. Growing in faith can be measured by recognizing that my mind and attitudes are conforming what he is saying okay one of the things that the word does is it reprograms it renews our minds God changes our thought processes God changes our approach to things all right so being ready to how am I going to respond to some of the new for example uh, governmental things that are going on what if Something is invented that puts me out of business. I doubt that there's any blacksmiths here, but that's a good example, all right? You know, think about that. Wouldn't it have been awful? You know, you've been a, you know, I'm a sixth-generation blacksmith, and now I'm out of business because everybody's driving those darn horseless carriages. You know. So, anyway, allow God to speak to you through his word. I just en encourage you to do that. And I've just written down a few, a few of my favorite scriptures about the word short ones i'll just read them to you psalm 119 11 i have hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you think on that how do you hide god's word in your heart well that's a job for the holy spirit but my job is to let him do it reading his word meditating thinking on his word the word <coughs> word meditate from Hebrew was to mutter. I want God's word in my heart. I speak this. God, I want your word in my heart. Lord, open up the door of my heart. If there's a blockage there, Lord, remove it so that you can get your word deep down inside of my heart so that it be a part of who I am and what I think and what I do. Okay? Psalm 11940, how, how I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Lord, I long for your word. There's nothing like the word of God. He is altogether lovely. There is nothing, no one in heaven or in earth, Lord, like you. Okay? Meditating on, a, on that word. 
and letting it grow in your thinking. That's how the Word of God changes lives. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. If it stands firm in the heavens, it'd probably do a good job of making us stand firm down here. Okay, so I want the Word of God to be my standard. I want it to be my basis, my boundaries for living. And that's how I grow in the Lord. 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You probably, some, many of you probably memorized that in Baptist Sunday School many, many years, many, many years ago. Think about that. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Okay. If I've got something that's a lamp to my feet and I'm going up here and I don't looking forward where I'm going, I might run into a wall. But he's a light not only to my feet one step at a time, but to my path, where I'm going. He gives you light where you're going and light where you are. Okay? Psalm 19, one, this, one of my favorite favorites. I have many favorites, but I have, among the favorites, I have even more favorites. Listen to this, 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law or your word, translated by some. Great peace have those who love your word, and nothing causes them to stumble. And that, uh, that is a wow. I heard somebody say wow. That's a wow verse. Nothing causes them to stumble. Wow. Think about it. Growing in the word requires not only believing it, but also putting faith to it and obeying it. It's not God just didn't just give his word to wow us particularly or just to entertain us, but it is the instructor's guide, instructor's guidebook. Okay? So I need to believe it and do it. All right? When it says forgive your enemies, that's not just a good thought. It's not just a nice philosophy of life. It's a command. Forgive your enemies. Okay, when it says love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that's not just a, an idea that, well, someday I'll be there and I'll do that when I'm 80 years old. No, start now. Okay? So, when you have faith in the Word and you obey it, it automatically produces the next thing of emphasis, which is experience. I want to experience God. I've heard about other people's experiences, but I want a few experiences myself once in a while. You ever thought about that? You hear somebody tell her fantastic uh, experience that they had in the Lord, and you're sitting there thinking, why doesn't God ever do anything like that to me? Lots of us have thought that, all right? Here's, here's my helpful hint. Obey his word. Live in all the light that he has given you up until now, and the experiences will come as a result of your obedience to him and him knowing you're walking with him. Now, let me give you an example. Definition of experience, first of all, is practical contact, excuse me, practical contact with and observance of facts or events. In other words, the reaction you give to the crisis, the action you respond from the 
thing that you're resetting is experience. You're experiencing this, <laughs> okay? And my experience is, first of all, I don't like it, all right? So the experience that the blacksmith had to learn was he had to find a new job. <laughs> okay, now think about this. Have you ever noticed that if you tell a three-year-old not to stick their finger in the fire, they will wait until you aren't looking and do it? Okay, how many of you remember doing that yourself? <laughs> three honest people. All right. Good. Okay, now think about this. You got a three-year-old, you don't stick your finger in the fire. Well, obviously, they don't pay any attention to you, and they stick their finger in the fire and scream. That's experience. Okay, think about it. But it goes on because not only have they had practical contact with an event, they had an experience, but that's so deep inside of them, it becomes their mission to go around and say, don't stick your finger in the fire. You know, I tried it, and it's not good. Okay, so there you have, like, all three things. Knowledge, don't stick your finger in the fire. Experience, you're probably going to do it anyway. And here's how you need to change. Here's one thing that it will drum up out of you. And that is, you'll be so convinced that sticking your finger in the fire is a bad thing, you'll want to tell everybody. Okay? Now, that child has heard and observed the warning. He's had the experience and probably will spread the news. Okay? A person with experience is one that is a witness. Uh, let's look up Acts 1.8, if we got that up there, okay? Okay, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the uttermost parts of the world. Okay, notice that when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive my power, you will become my witnesses. Now, the Greek word for witness there is martyr. Yeah. All right, you will have, when you receive the Spirit of God in a way that you had not, which is certainly true for the disciples at the time, you're going to be a witness. And earlier, back in Luke, before he ascended, he, he actually makes the statement about you will be my witnesses. So this is a repeat of closing chapter of Luke, what he says right here. Okay, think about this. A person that has experience has witnessed something. All right, for example, many of those people in that early day saw him resurrected. They saw him crucified, died, and buried, but now they see him resurrected. Wow, is that an experience? Now, they could go out and tell everybody because, hey, I've seen this. I've been there and done that. Jesus came back from the dead. He is resurrected. They have experience. Isn't it a lot easier to tell somebody something that happened to you than just theoretically? <laughs> I know that if you stick a finger in the fire, it will burn you. But when you do it, wow, man, I'm really fired up, right? Yeah. Okay, so... They saw for themselves. The idea of a witness is a witness tells what he knows. 
A witness tells what he sees. You don't swear in somebody to give them to give a public testimony that they don't have knowledge of it. They don't swear somebody in in a, in a criminal uh, trial that doesn't know anything about what's going on. Or he, I heard. Can you tell us what happened? Well, I heard this on the news. That, that's not acceptable. I think it's acceptable. I've been there and I've done that. It's happened to me. Okay. They saw for themselves. The disciples had seen Jesus collapse the wind and command them to go away when the ship was about to sink. They've been there. They saw that. They know he has power over the elements because I was there when it happened. They experienced forgiveness of sin. Jesus was not just words on a page to them. They had their own experience. They were experienced. Why? Because they'd seen it. They had experience. They had touched him and felt him, know that he was not a ghost. I know Jesus can save lives because I've seen it. I've seen people's lives excuse me, changed. All right? I know God forgives sins and can deliver you from all sorts of emotional stress and strain and depression because it happened to me. All right? Because I asked him, I believed him, I believed his word, and he did it, and now I've got experience. Now, it's nice to listen to someone else's testimony, but that's not experience. Experience is where you believe what they have said about the Lord and go out and try it for yourself. All right? So God is not limited on giving experiences. Okay? But if my only relationship with God is without a personal asking, talking, meditating on his word, obeying his word, un- learning to understand what he's saying, then experience comes and I grow. Not only that, I'm a great witness because I can tell people based on the satisfaction that I know that he changes lives. I know that he can heal. All right? I've got stories to tell. I'm armed and equipped. And equipped. Okay? So is it wrong to pray for experiences? I don't think so as long as you're, you're asking to glorify God. God, show me. I, I, Lord, I give. Now, I ask, Lord, that you would resupply me. Okay? Lord, I have prayed for other people, and I pray that people be praying for my need. Okay? Sowing and reaping. It's real. It works. Okay. Moving along. Third one, mission. In short, mission has to do with finding your place in the body. Okay, when you decide to grow more in the Lord by a greater relationship into his word, and you begin to feel, see the acts of God in your life, you will begin to understand, this is what God is calling me to do, whatever that may be. Okay? Uh, another another idea just popped in my mind about uh, uh, experience. Some of you have been in a position where you have heard of or studied the life of John Wesley. John Wesley is noted for the starting of the Methodist Church back in the 1700s. Uh, 
and uh, he had been a, a uh, he was a, a preacher's kid. His father was a, was a uh, church Anglican pastor, pastor to church. Well, he realized that, uh, well, I guess that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. So he started studying the Bible, and when he was of age, he went to uh, university. And, uh, but, and he was a very bright young man, but he really lacked what we would call experience. So he decided that he would leave England and come to America, in his own words, to learn the meaning of the gospel by preaching to the heathens. Okay, so that's, what, that's how he's going. He's looking for an experience. Okay, so on the way over, they're on a, a ship, and a storm comes up, and the ship is just, you know, really in, in bad shape. And he's terrified. And he looks out on the deck, and here's a whole bunch of people out there singing hymns and praising God. You know, <laughs> so he goes up and he says, huh, you know, in modern language, you know, are you crazy? <laughs> We're all going to be dead in about five minutes. And this guy says, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And he says, of course I know Christ. I went to Bible college, and I've done it. My father was in uh, the guy said, I didn't ask that. I said, do you know him as your Savior? And he'd never been asked before. And all of a sudden, he said, uh, well, no. And so he asked the Lord into his life and dramatically changed him, as you know the rest, rest of the story. But uh, later on, he had another experience in a place in England called Aldersgate. And he described it as, I felt my heart strangely warm. Now, that's not, today, if you'd had that, wow, man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me the other day, you know, but British, you know, I felt my heart strangely, strangely warm. John Wesley was an interesting guy, and he preached and preached, and he had fabulous miracles from his ministry, and uh, one time he was walking down the street, and this big coal miner comes to a real rough, tough character, and, uh, the guy was an atheist. He'd been to, didn't like his meetings. So he, he steps over, and here's John Wesley coming here. He steps over right in the way like this, you know. And he says, you're John Wesley, aren't you? He says, yes, I am. And he says, well, I'll have you know I don't step aside for fools. John Wesley says, oh, I always do. <laughs> <laughs> But he was a uh, quite a guy. Anyway, back to mission. So uh, obviously he uh, found something about the mission that God had called him to. Now, I want to read to you a, a few paragraphs out of this book that we have been recommending everybody get by Bob Mumford called The King and You. And uh, so... He, this is from a uh, section called Need and Placement. Okay, Need and Placement. Now, just listen to this. Need and Placement has to do with our part in bringing the kingdom to our world. The kingdom now is not heaven. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom refers to the rule and reign of God. All right? Wherever God is ruling, that's a manifestation of the kingdom. Okay. So, over and over again, each of us have prayed, quote, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Sound familiar? Anybody pray that? Okay. Uh, but do we accept any responsibility in bringing the kingdom to earth in our lives? What have I done? I've prayed that, I don't know, hundreds of times from childhood. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God says, okay. And then do you know how you're going to find a part in doing that? Okay. Do we consider ourselves part of the answer to this prayer? Are you doing something to bring the kingdom, the rule and reign of God into your family, your neighborhood, your church, your job? Let's skip down here a minute. Now, he's talking specifically about finding your mission, finding your placement in the body. And everybody knows everybody's not the same. We have gifts differing. Amen? Okay, I am not called to be a missionary. Okay? Uh, but I know many people that are. Okay? So, you are, God has work for you, but just sitting around won't, and, you know, uh, so forth, being just part of the audience, probably won't get it done. Okay, here's what he writes. I use, this is page 41. I used to get up to the altar and watch people pleading for salvation for lost souls. I thought that sounded so spiritual, so I'd pray, Oh God, save the lost. I didn't really have a burden for the lost, but I had to act like I did because everyone else did. <laughs> if you know anything about Bob Mumford, that's the way he, that's the way he writes. In other words, he's saying, oh, that must be the mission of God for me. Oh, everybody else is, is praying, God, give me a burden for the lost. <coughs> so I guess I better be praying the same thing. Okay. However, here's what he writes. I didn't really have a burden for the lost. I acted like it because everybody else did. I started feeling like something was wrong with me, and I was full of guilt. I firmly believed in witnessing, but God didn't give me a burden for the loss. He gave me a burden for maturing the body of Christ, Christian growth. Okay? His mission was a teacher. All right? Now, if the evangelists will get them in here, I'll teach them. But I can't get them in very good job and y'all can't teach them very good, so if we work together, we'll get something done. Okay. We do not in any way want to minimize the importance of either evangelizing or but the kingdom cannot come on as it is in heaven until God's desire and will in the life of each believer individually has been accomplished. Ooh. When God's will or wishes are as effectively implemented as possible in individuals, churches, and nations in the midst of our fallen world, we can see the influence of the kingdom increase in a visible and measurable manner. Okay. All of our callings and all of our missions are not the same thing here. But <coughs> I had to seek the Lord and find out. Now, here's what I would just suggest to you. You're growing in the knowledge of God, and then you are gaining experiences. You're getting the affirmation. You're feeling, yeah, that's right. I, I'm sharing Christ and my witness with people, and people are coming to Christ. 
every once in a while. It mean, doesn't mean hundreds per day. It just means, you know, have you taken opportunities as the Lord showed you opportunities to give your witness to somebody. Okay. Now, when we <coughs> do that, sometimes we find out I do this pretty good, this job, but not this job very good. Okay, you're probably discovering a mission. God has given you a gifting. Gifts differ. You don't have all the same gifts I do, and I'm not like all of you. But when we work together and we are really wanting to see his rule and reign come and we work together as a congregation, as a local church, then we can see some real changes, all right? Okay, this making sense? Okay, so we live in a time when the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because a lot of the workers don't know what their mission is. A lot of the workers are satisfied, like the the, uh, saying that Pentecostal used to use there, they're not saved and sanctified, they're saved and satisfied. And we got to be careful that we're not saved and satisfied, okay? We need to be seeking God, especially at a time when there is a time of reset going on. Our culture is changing. There are different people doing things that we thought would never happen, okay? Uh, so, <coughs> workers are few. Think about this. An army functions better when the soldiers are volunteers rather than draftees, okay? Several of you that have been in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It'd be better to be, I'd rather be with a group on a dangerous mission that really wanted to be there rather than somebody made them do this, okay? So in our attitude towards serving God, we need to truly express our volunteerism Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Lord, what is my mission? What are, what are my giftings? What have you called me to do? I don't want to just be one of those that is saved and satisfied, you know, and just, you know, well, I'm going to go to heaven someday, praise the Lord, but nothing's going to happen between now and then. No, there's a war going on down here. There's all kinds of stuff going on down here that we need to learn about, that we need to gain experience in, and ultimately that we know our mission. What has God called me to do? Okay, so many of the prophets in the Bible were draftees. A draftee is somebody that an upper authority, you know, said, okay, you're going to do this. And the person says, I don't want to do that. Okay, I don't care. You're going to do this anyway. Okay, that's a, dra- that's a draftee, or we're going to put you in jail. Okay, a an enlistee, days when I was in the military, they, they wanted to be there. And you may think they were crazy. You know, well, a lot of people wanted to be there. So those were the ones who you could count on. They volunteered. They wanted to go forth. They wanted to represent whatever. Okay, like I said, many prophets in the Bible were draftees. They weren't looking for a job when God called them. Okay. Isaiah, however, and you can look this up later in Isaiah 6, when he was young, I believe he was the only one that I can remember that was a volunteer. And when God described to him the mess that his people were in, 
Then, as though God was had to think about this, he says, Whom shall I send? Well, <laughs> you know, nowadays, you know, some of us, we might have responded, I don't know, Lord, I'll pray about it. You know. <laughs> I, I guess somebody, oh, my neighbor, he'd, he'd be really good. Why don't you call him? No, Isaiah's response was, here I am, send me. Okay. Wow. Can you imagine saying that to God? God, isn't it amazing? God was, I think God was looking for him to say that. He was looking for him to enlist before he had to be drafted. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's the, the put together. We've got knowledge, growing in the knowledge of God. Why? Because society, our culture is changing. You remember the old advertisement about Oldsmobile. Some of you will remember this. This new Oldsmobile is not your father's Oldsmobile, meaning that it's updated, it has this, it has this, but it doesn't have all the same stuff that your father had on his Oldsmobile. This is better, but it's pertinent. Okay, so unless you had one, right? Okay. God has changes, and what may have worked for the church 10, 20, 30 years ago may not work now. That doesn't mean that we change the word of God. It means that we have the same gospel. It may be wrapped a little bit differently. But we're reaching the people out there, trying to reach people out there who don't know God. And we have to know a little bit about what affects them before we can touch them and be the light shining in their lives. Okay, This is a rapidly changing different nation. Do you agree with that? Lots of things changing. Some good, some bad. We can remember also the positive side. God is always doing something. God is at work. Maybe we don't see what it is yet, what he's doing, what he's planning. But if it's God, it's going to be good, and it's going to be for our goodness. Okay, knowledge, experience. I'm asking God to intervene and do things in my life so I can tell other people about it, what happened to me. I want to be a witness. God changed, Jesus changed my life, and he can change your life too. And I can tell you that on the solidity that it was a real thing. God changed my life when he came in. And then finally, I'm going to learn what God has called me to do, God, what God has put on my plate. I want to know what God has called me to be and to do and to begin to walk in those ways. It is up to us to respond. Here I am, send me. God can do the rest. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-518. 5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.